You are listening to the Salty Witches podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Austin, and I'm joined with Mike here. And we have a very special guest on tonight. Uh, We have Thumper Forge, who is joining us, and we are super excited for this. Hi, Thumper. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this as well. Yeah, yeah. And I I just want to kind of echo that. Yes, I'm also very excited to have you on the podcast. Um, Well, thank you. So... So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, given the nature of our podcast, um, your your practice, at least at least, you know, what you're comfortable sharing? Oh, absolutely. Uh, do, you, do you have a starting point or do you want me to just kind of pick a point and run with it? Oh, God, you you start wherever you want to. I'm sure, you know, you, you've been you've been doing what you've been doing for, you know, for a while now, um, at least as far as what Austin and I are familiar with and, and from what you've shared publicly, but wherever you want to start. Yeah. Like we say, like, who, who are you? What is it? What is it you do? And and what is it you practice? Okay. Well, I, I will, I will give you the, the resume. Then. Okay. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm a, uh, Gardnerian initiate. I'm an initiate of the Minoan brotherhood. Uh, I am kind of, moderately obsessed with and do deep dives into chaos magic and then my actual religion is discordianism Mm -hmm. which is a modern pseudo parody religion based on the worship of the greek goddess eris (laughs) so those are all the things that i have my fingers in at any given time yeah okay uh yeah um my my personal practice is kind of all over the place it's (laughs) it's it's basically like a whole bunch of stuff out of the Principia Discordia, which is the Discordian holy book, and then stuff that I found in a book on the 14 holy helpers that I picked up from a Catholic bookshop. So mm-hmm. it's it's a very eclectic personal practice that uh, delves a lot into folk magic and folk practices with a with a big Discordian shellac on it. Hmm. All right. That's, that's fascinating. And actually, some of, <laughs> some of the questions that I've got for you tonight actually are going to probably um, help us kind of a, a expound a little bit on that or help you kind of expound a little bit of that, maybe more to the benefit of our listeners. Oh, excellent. Um, so in addition to to these things, uh, you know, uh, you're also, um, you're an author. You write? I do. I do. Uh, I write a blog for uh, Patheos Pagan called Fivefold Law. And uh, I also, I have a book coming out in November um, that I co-wrote with Evo Dominguez, which is called Virgo Witch. It's part of, Llewellyn is doing a Sun Sign series. Oh, so it's okay. a 12 part series where Evo Dominguez wrote, ha- wrote half of all the books and then they brought in a different author of each sign to write the second half. Oh. So I got picked to be the Virgo Witch. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. All right. And so that's coming out in November. And then at some point in 2024, the date has not been sent yet, set yet. Uh, I'll have a book out on chaos, magic and witchcraft. Oh, I'm, I'm very excited. Okay, cool. I, I'm also, I'm also a chaos practitioner. So I'm very excited. Wonderful. Uh, you also, um, we, I'm looking over here at uh, the bookshelves that we have in the shop. You've also, um, you contributed to the Gorgon's Guide. Yes. Um, yeah, to Magical Resistance, which is, I believe, the uh, kind of like the accompanying book to uh, the We Are Aradia. Yeah, the New Aradia, which was uh, yeah, which yes. uh, the original uh, book in that series on magical activism. And yes. that came out in 2018. And I was just absolutely obsessed with it. I thought it was the coolest book ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, the opportunity came up to uh, submit to, to the sequel, to the Gorgon's Guide. So I was able to do that. Nice. Okay. Well, and I and I love your contribution to that book. I had to buy a copy of that. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah. 
All right. So I've, I've got a couple of things that I want to kind of, kind of ask you here. And, um, you know, and as I said, and feel, feel free, you know, to kind of, you know, go, go off on these, these, these questions, these topics as you wish. Uh, but, but I mentioned a moment ago and you were just sharing that you actually do have a book coming out. I think you mentioned 2024 that will, will feature some, some information on chaos magic, chaos practice. Yes. Um, you know, I'm, I'm also a chaos magician. I identify as such anyway. And, I, I wanted to get your take on this because I think it's an interesting conversation. Um, what what is it that you feel in the contemporary occult slash pagan slash witch slash whatever the title might be? What do you, what do you feel that that really people kind of misunderstand about chaos magic? Chaos magic has been kind of quietly influencing modern occultism for a while, and so a lot of things that people see as very concrete and set in stone are things that came out of chaos magic and came out of chaos magic very organically. Mm -hmm. um, I always use sigils as an example because people think of sigils and it's, oh, you take your intent and you cross out the repeating letters and you make a shape out of it and you've made a sigil. And there's only one way to do it. And uh, there's not. There's an infinite variety of way, ways mm -hmm. to create sigils. Um, but all the experimentation with with sigils as a practice grew out of chaos magic. Um, I think that, uh, so I think people don't realize how much of an influence it's had. Um, I also think that people get chaos confused with chaotic. Um, the, yeah. the word, the word chaotic has kind of infiltrated our vocabulary because of the rise in popularity of role-playing games. Mm -hmm. And so when people hear chaos magic or chaos witchcraft, they think of chaos as something, very frenetic and all over the place and and sloppy and messy and and chaos magic is actually quite the opposite it can be very disciplined and it can be very orderly um but just people just have a different definition of the word and that sort of colors their perception of what it is yeah okay all right okay i i just i wanted to see what you might have to say on that you know and i i agree with with everything that you were just saying there but but i love to have that conversation because it, it does seem to be very confusing well oh, it, absolutely it's it frustrates me because though i do have aspects of my practice that come from chaos magic i, I think pretty much every modern day practitioner will um uh there's this idea that chaos magic is oh i'm just going to use rosemary for everything because i'm chaotic and i always tell people in in when they come to the shop i'm like no that just means that you don't know your correspondences and you're just being sloppy. <laughs> and then I they think... look at me like how dare you offend my practice and i'm like okay well sorry i gave you some truth <laughs> i think that people do sometimes uh equate chaos with lazy and um so weird you know and, and we've all you know I, I met y'all through tiktok and there are a lot of people who identify as chaos witches who will post videos about you know kind of look how lazy i am with my practice i'm a chaos witch yeah and i what killed me one time was somebody made a video and they were like oh just me with my lazy chaotic practice and it was like they had thought out this procedure and they had come up with like some really interesting shortcuts and they were doing this. It, it was all about like, remember when the big trend was blowing cinnamon through the door? Yes. Yeah. 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 They had come up with this whole thing of cinnamon in the coffee pot the night before. So when they wake up on the first of the month, the smell of cinnamon is wafting out of the coffee maker and, and they were doing this whole thing and it was thought out. And I was like, 
that's chaos magic that yeah. is you know step by step and procedural and and trying something to see if it works and you know if it didn't work how can i make it work and if it did work can i make it work again and mm. because the term chaos has been just associated with kind of you know free form and laziness they thought by doing something chaos oriented they were by nature being lazy when they were doing the exact opposite and yeah. and i i don't stitch to a lot of videos and i don't do a lot of duets but i like jumped in and i was like no 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 this is really good you did a really good thing <laughs> you yeah. are forbidden to be self deprecating in this situation oh that's because, cool well and that's it was good nice for you to validate that for them too oh <laughs> yeah i i i always want to when when i see self-deprecation i always try to like amend it because ah. you know the 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 world of of social media and pop culture uh occultism uh can be a very uh can, can be a very what's the word i'm looking for like a step down from violent yeah <laughs> like, and you know people can uh be really mean to each other and people can really jump on each other over you know per perceived slights or looking at somebody else's practice and saying well i don't do it that way therefore you're doing it wrong yeah and so when i see somebody doing something that's really innovative or doing something that is borderline revolutionary but they don't see it then i want to definitely say no you you're doing something really cool and you need to keep doing it huh. very, very nice all right so you you use a very interesting word and that um, some of what you were just you were sharing there, what you were describing there about about chaos magic, and we have other stuff we're going to talk about or other things we want to ask you. But uh, but since you since you mentioned this, I, again, I want to I want to kind of kind of pick your brain on this. Um, what would would you say that chaos magic as a practice is? still uh kind of like a, a facet of occultist practice whatever you want to call it right the, but there does still seem to me to be um a, an element of chaos magic that encourages experimentation absolutely absolutely um, and i've noticed that something that seems to have kind of gone missing that that curiosity that willingness or that desire to just try something different that seems to be something that is kind of waning or has kind of disappeared in a lot of other practices I would agree. And uh, chaos magic is very, or chaos magical theory, because, you know, that's one thing I do try to to clear up with people. It's like, when I say chaos magic, we're not like shooting chaos at each other. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, it's, it's, uh, it's chaos magical theory. It's an approach to magical practice. And um, part of chaos magic is very results driven. We're trying to figure out what works and see if we can get you know, verifiable and repeatable results. Yeah. Um, like there are things that like when I'm doing my own experimentations with stuff, um, I've noticed like this sounds really random, but in doing some work around sigils one time, I started having these sneezing fits whenever huh. I would try to charge the sigil. And, but then I would always get really good results from the sigils. So it became this thing of, and I, when I would go back through my notes, I was like, okay, I sneezed three times here and three times here. So I'm going to have this theory that if I start sneezing after I've charged a sigil, then something has clicked. I don't know why I'm sneezing, <laughs> but it's a good sign. Okay. You know, and so that's, that's sort of that chaos magic approach of, yeah. you know, looking at how things work and what results am I getting? And are they the results I want or, are they not at all the results I want, but they're pretty cool results. So I'm going to roll with them and see what happens next. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for sharing that. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I just, that's something that, that just kind of gets me sometimes. Yeah. I, I always kind of wonder like, yeah, why, 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 why not all the other, why, why are other traditions and practices not actively experimenting? Um, so yeah. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I, I do want to reiterate to your listeners that if you are practicing chaos magic and you do not sneeze, that's okay too. That was just, yeah. that's just me personally. <laughs> oh, I, I love my I experiment. Love yeah, I, lo I love that story. The way that you're explaining that because you got me thinking of things like, okay, so if you're crafting a sigil and you're not feeling sneezes coming on. Like in my brain, I'm thinking like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to find like a flower or an incense or something like that. I know I'm going to have an allergic response to like, I'm going to trigger the sneeze. Right. Well, yeah. Um, and th that could be a theory add, though. Yeah. Just add additional experimentation. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like is the sneeze part of the trigger that is charging the sigil? Yeah. This, this is so great because Thumper is not the only other spiritual practitioner I know of who in doing spiritual work has experienced sneezing. I had a mentor once um, who, when spirits were around, she would sneeze. Oh, and so the closer we got to like October and closer to the end of October, she just, she, she would just be sneezing all the time, so all the it, time. Oh. So is it, is it ghosts or is it hay fever? I, I don't know, gotcha. but okay. I, it, it was it was Dr. Brandon. So so it was always really funny because she'd be she'd start sneezing. She'd be like, "Sorry, dead people are around," and I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> yeah." So so you currently identify as a Discordian. This is a term and practice that is unknown by a lot of people. Uh, mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Uh, it was Discordianism was something I stumbled across probably close to 15 years ago when I was reading um, Drawing Down the Moon by the Margot Adler's big omnibus of, yeah. of yeah. paganism in America. And there was a chapter on Discordianism. And at the time, I thought it was the coolest thing because growing up, as probably a lot of us did, I read a lot of Greek mythology and Eris was always sort of my favorite goddess. Hmm, okay like i like the idea like she didn't get invited somewhere so she was just gonna ruin everyone else's day i was like <laughs> that is my kind of energy yeah and so i learned that there was this whole religion that had been created around her and i it was something that i would sort of come back to where i was like oh that's really interesting and then i would you know join a discordian yahoo group and go oh these people are insane this is not what i thought it was at all and i would go running away um, and eventually I sat down and read the Principia Discordia, which is like the original holy book of the Discordians. Mm -hmm. And, um, it just, it made weird sense. There is a lot of very, um, for a, for a nonsensical religion, there was a lot of no nonsense philosophy and worldview in the Principia mm -hmm. and, um, the, and Discordianism had an influence on the pioneers of chaos magic. And so as I started delving into chaos magic, I also started delving back into discordianism and to where I was just like, I think I've kind of found my happy place. <laughs> this, this uh, kind of, you know, intentionally fake religion has more meat to it than I expected. And I just decided to get very comfortable there. Yeah. Okay. All right. And the, uh, again, for your listeners, because I know, like, yeah. I'm used to being Discordian, so I just sort of assumed that everybody knows what it is. And then I got on TikTok, <laughs> and I found out that everybody thinks Discordian means I have a Discord server. Oh, oh yeah. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I was like, oh, I must educate. Um, but the as the story goes, in 1957, 
um, these two guys named uh, Carrie Thornley and Greg Hill, who were high school best friends, were hanging out in a bowling, bowling alley and drinking coffee. And they were hit with a vision of Eris, who appeared to them and basically demanded that that they found a religion in her honor. Uh, so they changed their names to Omar, Lord Omar Khayyam Ravenhurst and Malaclips the, young, the Younger. Mm-hmm. And set about creating this religion that was started out very much as a joke. It was supposed to be um, a satire of of modern religious thought, both both polytheistic and monotheistic. Um, and over time, it just caught on. And so there have been these little discordian cabals like since then, <laughs> yeah, um, very heavily on the internet. Um, but it's another thing that's just sort of influenced a lot of pop culture without people realizing it yeah well, um, it, seems, it seems very um like uh, discording this to me as and, and I'll, I'll you know i'm i'm one of these people you know like I've, I've read enough to know you know like okay this is what this is right but i, sure. I honestly can't say that I've, I've done any kind of a deep dive into it but but it's always seemed to me like it's it's um it's very counterculture yes um and yet, yet at the same time it's very much a facet of culture <laughs> <laughs> that's that 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 sums it up very well um which is i think again I, it would say make sense to me that would be like the spirit or the essence of discordianism right that right there um so real real quick like a little bit of trivia maybe for our listeners so you're you're talking you've mentioned the goddess eris a few times but we're yes. talking about discordianism so within discordianism is there syncretization or is there some sort of comparison between eris as a goddess and then and discordia Yes, it's understood within Discordianism that Discordia is the Latin name of Eris. Okay, gotcha. Okay, okay. I just wanted to. So, so sometimes, that. sometimes we say Eris, sometimes we say Discordia, sometimes we say Eris Calisti Discordia. Um, yeah. So it's it's understood that that Discordia is the Roman equivalent of Eris. Okay. All right. Okay. So now, okay, so I've got an, an, an interesting question for you, and, okay. and and I again, and I have to ask this. This is this is for my education too. Um, but so you're also a Gardnerian Wiccan. Yes. So with with just some of the the practices that we've talked about or some of the traditions, some of the things that you're you do it that you you have kind of combined to create your own practice and path. Um and again, this is just my outside perspective, right? I, because I just don't, I just don't know, right? But mm-hmm. I'm I'm very curious to know how how have you been able to balance what I would with my limited understanding, what I would perceive would be very different components or very different kinds of uh, beliefs or philosophies or or uh, practices, say from things say like you know like Wicca, uh, traditional Wicca, right, or mm-hmm. um, or Discordianism, or even again going back to chaos magic, because I think if if you look at these things, they are all very distinct practices. Yes. Um, but you've been able to successfully combine these things. And I'm, I'm very curious to know, like, can, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, some, well, sometimes I combine them and sometimes um, I keep them very separate. Uh, the Gardnerian tradition is coven based. So I'm really only doing something Gardnerian when I'm in a room with other Gardnerians and we're practicing some witchcraft together and we're practicing that tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm on my own, I just, you know, I think that um, there are certainly influences from that in my personal practice, but um, I'm not limited to that or limited by it. Um, and one of the, you know, one of the uh, kind of guiding principles of chaos magic is the idea of diverse approaches mm-hmm. of, you know, coming at things from different angles 
Um, but we also talk a lot about belief as a tool of having, you know, temporary belief systems. Yeah. Um, or constructing a belief system to serve a particular purpose. And how that has played out for me is that when I'm with my Gardnerian coven, I'm very focused on being Gardnerian and I'm not, I'm not doing stuff and going, well, how would I do it if I was Discordian or, right. you know, what would happen if I just invoked Eris in the middle of this with, you know, it's, that's not what I'm there for. I'm there to practice the Gardnerian tradition. And same thing when I'm with my Minoan Grove, we're focused on our work within that tradition. Yeah. Um, and then when I'm on my own, I might incorporate some elements from either into whatever I'm trying to do, but it's um, I'm still able to keep things very separate when I need to, or draw inspiration from them when I need to, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just, I know from an outside perspective, you, you know, you're looking at these things and they all seem to be so distinct, you know, I'm just, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I just, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm always fascinated to see how people have been able to make the thing work for them. You know, um, so you've mentioned the Minoan Brotherhood a couple of times now, and I'm just, I'm very curious. I'm, I'm a bit familiar with the Minoan, uh, you know, with, with what that is, but, but are you okay sharing like a detail or two on what that may be? Absolutely. Uh, so the Minoan Brotherhood was founded in the mid seventies um, by a guy named Eddie Bazinski, who founded the Brotherhood in response to perceived homophobia within the greater witchcraft community at the time mm -hmm. um where uh it in retrospect the community was probably not as homophobic as people thought it was yeah but um <laughs> yeah. He, he really felt that that men who love men needed their own tradition okay and he he was an uh a student of, of archaeology and had a vast knowledge of ancient cultures and practices and was very um inspired by the uh the near east and uh minoan and mycenaean cultures mm -hmm. and so he created this sort of offshoot of wicca that he called the minoan brotherhood um and then uh he worked with a woman named lady ria to create a the minoan sisterhood for 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 oh. our lesbian sisters okay um and the idea was the original idea was that the brotherhood and the sisterhood would then come together and they would have rights that they could practice together, which never really happened. The two kind of just kept to themselves. Oh, okay. Um, but both are still around today. Both are still both are still very active. They're they're smaller and lesser known than other permutations of British traditional Wicca, but they're 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 thriving. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, yeah. I just, I know that that's another one of those. Um, that's another kind of facet of, of, you know, of our, of our community that I just know maybe a lot of people are, maybe, are not as familiar with, you know, they haven't heard of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you. All that right. is, that is sort of my, my MO is like, I'll find, let me just find the most obscure tradition of witchcraft I can and, mm -hmm. and spend like 10 years working on that and then, then casually mention it to somebody and realize nobody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, I, I can appreciate that. And I think that's one of the other things that you and I have in common. Like I was thinking about that the other day. I think you're one of the only other um, practitioners that I'm familiar with that is, uh, that incorporates geomancy. Yes. Into uh, their divinatory, you know, just their spiritual practices, you know, and I, I know one of the reasons like, you know, as, as a younger angstier, you know, uh, occultist slash witch, uh, you know, I, one of the reasons that I, I undertook studying and learning geomancy was like, no one else is doing this, you know, um, 
that was that was a draw the other side of it for me was that there i was determined to learn tarot i spent years trying to learn tarot and <laughs> people like i had every book on the subject i had friends sending me like courses and diagrams and one day i came across geomancy and i was like hmm 16 figures or 78 cards which do i yeah. want to memorize yeah gotcha <laughs> and it was at, like after I, that whole thing about chaos magic isn't lazy this was abject laziness on my part i was like i can handle 16 gotcha. <laughs> so okay. that was my All introduction right. to geomancy yeah okay hey, yeah i mean that's fair All right. that's how i learned the witch's runes oh yeah yeah, yeah. much easier than the food arc right yeah are these the 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 patricia crother eight eight runes um, so, I, you know, it varies. I think I've seen sets where it's eight. I've seen sets where it's 10. And then I've seen sets where it's 13. Yeah, I, I learned the original 13. Yeah, the 13. Okay. Okay. Well, there are so many systems, though. I mean, you've got like the Olgam, you've got, um, God, there are so many. Anyway, that's yeah. okay. So, <laughs> what good do you see happening in the witchcraft uh, slash pagan communities now? What good do I see happening? Um I see a lot of new voices that are coming out of heads that are fit squarely on shoulders. I think that, um, you know, I, I'm old, as you may or not, not have guessed at this point. And so I've, I've watched the, the witchcraft and pagan communities kind of evolve over the years. And there are, there are, you know, there are arguments that people continue to have, and it's like everybody forgot that we already had those arguments. Yeah. They come up again year after year after year. And there are misconceptions and there are misrepresentations. And those have been going on since at least 1954. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But uh, lately, and I think part of it is through mediums like TikTok and uh even though long form blogging isn't as popular as it used to be, there's still voices coming out of there of these really just wise for their years, uh innovative voices that are that are coming up. Yeah. And I think people are using all the new platforms that we have available to us to really promote, I don't want to say valid information, but really objective usable information hmm. okay all right I, lo I love that i love that description objective usable information that's yeah. so much better than like right or wrong information <laughs> because that's i love that because yeah because you do we find that that dynamic anytime anybody says something different oh well that's wrong and it's like mm, yeah. eh, not not necessarily um yeah. Right and wrong are kind of illusions where something yeah. that might be very right for me is very wrong for somebody else and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But I can personally say, and this is something that I did learn as I started delving into chaos magic, is that sometimes I learn more from being wrong than I do from being right. Oh, yeah. And yep. there was, um, there's a guy on TikTok, Lilith's son, who, the guy from Alabama, he, amazing creator. Mm -hmm. And he just made a video one time where he was like, what if we used a fog machine to smoke cleanse a house? And I jumped in and I was like, that is chaos magic AF. Yes, we're yeah. going to do this. Yeah. And I got, I was all riled up about it. And I was like, this is brilliant. And then somebody commented on my video and was like, okay, here's why that's 
poisonous and how you can destroy your fog machine. And I was like, we are not doing this at all, but we have learned important things here. Okay. But if the conversation had never happened, if it hadn't been considered. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, okay. All right. And it was by getting the conversation started that, yeah, it was a, it was a good idea in theory, but somebody also was able to bring their own knowledge to the table and say, here's why that's not as workable as it seems like it might be. Hmm. But then it gave us something to workshop and well, let's try it from different angles and let's see what else we can do with this, which is when the really cool magic happens. Yeah. It's yeah. when we got cut, when we get caught up in that this is the right way and the wrong way to do it, that, that things just kind of get stuck in mundane. Okay. I, I really, I, I really, I really do like that. I do have tend to be a little bit more, I mean, you follow me on TikTok. I'm a little bit more, no. <laughs> um, You're just so passionate. And and part of it is because I, I get so fed up with a lot of misinformation that is out there. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that I learned um, just growing up in a family of witches, in a family of practitioners, um, growing and going through that, doing the coven stuff, is like there's so many different ways to do things. Um, and so, you know, like, um, you and I have this conversation where I'm like, okay, why, why is everyone shitting on Wicca? Do they not realize that most of their modern day practices that they're doing right now, like come from something like that? And it's, it's what, it's a weird thing with, with pagan history where, where people were coming for Wicca since before it was called Wicca. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. as soon as Gerald Gardner published a book on witchcraft, then, this guy Robert Cochran came out of the woodwork and was like, oh no, th- those are fake witches. We're the real witches. <laughs> and yeah. people think that the Gardnerian tradition is named after Gerald Gardner. It's really not. Gardnerian was coined as an insult by Robert Cochran. Mm. He was a real witch, not one of those Gardnerians. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, it's stuck. Why not? Um, which started a whole trend of people founding Wiccan traditions and naming it after themselves. <laughs> which was like i was like no you don't that's not the compliment you think it is um <laughs> but uh you know that the um there was a point where and i've made videos about this before where wicca got really really trendy mm-hmm. and then it stopped being trendy but it had really you know people had really co-opted it and had really strip mined it and pulled everything they could out of it and everything there was a period in the late 90s to the early 2000s where anything pagan was pretty much wiccan yeah it was the wick a wiccan circle casting and wiccan elements and all these things but people were just calling it pagan and when people decided they didn't want to be wiccan anymore because it stopped being popular they didn't know what else to do so they just kept practicing wicca and said they were witches now and they were traditional witches Mm. and this was real witchcraft and i was like okay but you're still waving your thumb in the air and quoting your book of shadows and saying blessed be so it's might be a little more wicked than you want people to think it is yeah yeah well and even with just the the authors that a lot of people read like most modern day authors even state like so i got my start in wicca mm-hmm. and so you're going to see a lot of influence of wicca in how i'm writing about this and the younger generation of witches that are coming up are just gung-ho about no no cunningham no this <laughs> and i'm just like okay but did you read anything no because it's bad and i'm like 
Okay, well, you know that thing that you're doing that you just posted an elaborate working about and an elaborate video about on TikTok? Yeah, that actually originally was sourced from this book. And they're like, no. And I'm like, yeah, here's the page and here's the title. It's, it's Cunningham's Earth, Air, Fire, Water, but whatever, hmm. I guess. I, I think a lot of, especially younger witches today who don't have either... I shouldn't say they don't have access to because they everyone has access to it, but who don't have the inclination to really delve into the history of the modern witchcraft revival have sort of taken Aleister Crowley and Gerald Gardner and Alex Sanders and kind of crushed them together in this full metal alchemist kind of way mm -hmm. to create this kind of witchcraft boogeyman. Yeah. And <laughs> there's one July. Yeah. That's is when people leave comments on my videos where they go off on how horrible Gerald Gardner was, I'm like, I think you might mean Alex Sanders. Why don't you look that up? Hmm. Because I'm not going to change anybody's minds on a lot of these subjects, but I can always say, here's some additional information that might flesh out the point you're trying to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, yeah, I, I really, I think it just comes down to an issue of education, which, which I, 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 I don't know how people forgot about Alex Sanders because he was... Like he was the self-proclaimed king of the witches, right? Like, <laughs> True. Was, like if people think Gerald Gardner was a media whore, Alex Sanders was amazing. <laughs> I mean, Alex Sanders, there, there's still, you can still find old magazines of him and his wife, mm -hmm. like doing rituals on mountaintops mm -hmm. with all of their coveners skyclad around them, but not them. That was what always used to rub me a little bit the wrong way. And I have many friends in the alexandrian tradition and i love them dearly i will pick on alexanders quite a bit <laughs> um but what used to kill me about those pictures is you have you know this coven frolicking naked on the mountaintop like you were saying and alexanders is there in this big flowing robe and i'm like when ritual nudity is involved whoever has clothes on has the power mm -hmm. and this is not a egalitarian setup that we're looking at here yeah yeah and that's, hmm. that's that's always been my take on it. Like, no, I, I, no, I, I would agree. As someone who's who's had no involvement in, in those traditions, I, I would agree. I mean, just from the even from the outside, that absolutely that mm -hmm. would make sense. Yeah, um, ritual, ritual nudity levels the playing field. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for elaborating on that. And I, I should probably admit that in in I've I've been that person in the past who has taken a very negative view on Wicca. Um, and I have too. I've and I've 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 learned in recent years through information Austin has shared with me and through connecting with other people who um who you know who are presenting some some good and some reliable info. I've learned that as is also the case with Christianity, that it is not not Wicca that I have ultimately had bad experience with. It is Wiccans. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes not, did, not not all wiccans but uh but that's i think that's where that came the, from the only bad experiences i've had with other wiccans are other wiccans who are um non-traditional um okay. as as what thumper and i have decided to call them and that you have also decided to call them vulture wiccans the vulture wiccans yes okay they're the they're the ones that i usually struggle with because i'm like you literally don't even know the purpose behind what you're trying to do right now. Mm -hmm. well, you the, the thing with the vulture Wiccans, and I do love that term, is that I'll, so when Wicca got really trendy, there was a a backlash against British traditional Wicca. Uh -huh. when, like when, when we're starting, if we start with, with Wicca for the, sol the solitary practitioner, 
moving forward there was this backlash against btw because it was like well why are you why aren't you validating us you need to be telling us we're doing things correctly and it's like well i can't tell you that we're doing things our way you're doing things your way and there was also but we're all wiccans and if if you're if you have secrets you should be giving us those secrets it's like no that's why they're secrets there are secrets you don't need to worry <clears> about them but there was this there was this weird vibe of looking down on british traditional wicca while also desperately needing validation from british traditional wicca <laughs> yes it was very it was very practical magic you can't practice witchcraft while you look down your nose at it but that was what was going on and wicca was starting to the word wicca was getting misapplied a lot where um because it sold uh, books would sell if they had wicca in the title so books that had nothing to do with wicca would have wicca put on the cover by the publisher mm -hmm. yep and so people were buying these books that had nothing to do on Wic with with traditional Wicca in any way, shape, or form. And people kept, and there was this idea that Wicca was whatever you wanted it to be. And mm. which, no, that something that can be whatever you want it to be is nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, well, exa yeah, exactly, yeah. But over time, people got tired of Wicca and they weren't getting anything out of it because they weren't putting anything into it. And then suddenly hoodoo got really trendy and all the people who had gotten bored with wicca decided they were root workers and went running with that for like a good five ten years mm -hmm. and then as we get into the current decade people are like hey you know we need to talk about cultural appropriation and taking things that don't belong to us and all the people who had been practicing hoodoo dropped the hoodoo and went oh well that's what the wiccans did <laughs> yep yeah yeah and so the people who basically co-opted Wicca co-opted Hoodoo and then blamed the Wiccans for co-opting Hoodoo. And, mm -hmm. and it was like, I'm watching this happen. You know, I, I'm just like, I can see what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Like, so, okay. So we're, we're all going to sit here. We all, we all practice divinatory arts in some fashion. So mm -hmm. if we were to sit here today and forecast like, okay, what's going to be the next big trend the next big thing that people within the contemporary pagan slash magical practice community are going to jump to. They've, they've cycled through Wicca. They've jumped from that into hoodoo and ATRs. What's what, what does anybody want to venture? Like what's the next thing? What's well, the next trend? I'll, I'll tell you what the next trend is. The next trend is Norse paganism. Yeah, but that's been around for yeah. a few years now. That's been around for a few years, but then you had, you know, Marvel Vikings, stuff like that come out yeah. and now yeah. everyone's a heathen and i'm like cool have you read any of the sacred texts no i just know loki picked me through the algorithm on tiktok <laughs> well i'm like i'm having to learn about loki right now because as i started working on a book about chaos magic and witchcraft i realized that a lot of people who call themselves chaos witches are just loki devotees yeah which is great but i'm like I know nothing about him. So yeah. I'm going to have to do yeah. like a we don't talk about Loki, no, no, no chapter or something mm -hmm. to like to like let people know that I'm aware of that. I do think that that heathenism is um, having a bit of a renaissance. I really thought folkloric witchcraft was going to take off and it didn't. And I've always been I've always kind of wondered why not. Yeah. Where there maybe, was... that, maybe that'll be next. Well, maybe I think folkloric witchcraft didn't take off because people have religious trauma and the the idea of like devils is just too much for them. There mm. is there that was you know when when hoodoo got trendy, um, and this is back in Yahoo group days. People <laughs> yeah. would get in Yahoo groups 
and say, um, and would ask hoodoo practitioners, well, how do you reconcile all this Christianity with your pagan beliefs? And the hoodoo practitioners would say, well, we're not pagan, so it's not that hard. Yeah. And people were just shocked and appalled that, no, magic is pagan. You have to. And so there was this sort of like, we're going to liberate hoodoo from the evil <laughs> Christians who aren't letting us have it. It was really, it was messed up. It was a yeah. weird time period. Yeah, but yeah. Um, so I, and I think that has sort of calmed down a little bit and people are really kind of understanding that hoodoo has its own roots in history that, that European witches are just not a part of, mm -hmm. but folkloric witchcraft does also contain a lot of Christianity and it has mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, prayers to the angels and prayers to the devil. And mm -hmm. um, I think that might be why it didn't quite get the lift off that it was it for to me it felt like a very natural progression of this is what we're all going to be into for the next three years and yeah a few yeah. books came out and that was about it yeah yeah I, I, no you're absolutely right yeah yeah i, I can see that mm -hmm. maybe maybe that'll maybe that'll be something that uh maybe when we get through this this most recent uh phase of, of satanic panic that we're seeing going on uh maybe, maybe who knows maybe the folkloric witchcraft maybe then it'll get a shot Huh. It may, or maybe because demonolatry is also getting really big right now. So maybe we'll yeah, have demonolaters for a while and then we'll sort of branch back into folkloric witchcraft. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're going to keep an eye out for the next. There you go. I'm, I'm very curious. Yes. Six months. <laughs> Are we only getting yeah, six months? We'll six months. Okay. Six months. I think six I think, months. Yeah. Things do seem to cycle more quickly these days. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Social media. Um, so talking about communities is there anything in these communities that really bothers you and if you do see things that bother you um do you, do you think that there's a way to fix it you know i i do try to not to let too many things bother me only because i see younger pagans today going through stuff that i went through 20 years ago mm -hmm. and um like i i rem you know i had the big I'm casting off Christianity and I'm a pagan now and I don't have a lot of information on what that means, but I'm running forward with this. And um, I, uh, because of social media being what it is, I think like in my day, like I could get on my live journal and talk about witchcraft mm -hmm. and three people would read it and think I'm profound. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but today people can get on TikTok and kind of say whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And I know that, I know that a lot of the misinformation that that comes flying out of TikTok videos, I know it's very heartfelt. I know that, you know, it's not, I'm spreading misinformation maliciously. It is genuinely what people believe mm -hmm. because that's where they are with their own path and education. Yeah. Um, I think what bothers me is, my urge to want to fix it when it's nobody let nobody fixed me i had to i had to go through my own journey yes. so i have to have patience with with the younger generation and know that they're going to get to where they need to be too yeah they're just not there yet they just have that's, a video camera on them and i didn't that's fair i don't know i i, I you know talking about that i i think I, I personally i can say i struggle with that a little bit as someone who tries to also teach and 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 kind of you know lead people forward in their practice you know whatever that may end up being for them um because i i'm i'm never quite sure where that line is between we've got to let them kind of 
stumble along and figure these things out and go through some of the experiences that we know we all need to go through to really be able to land on something that is is true for them and working for them. Right. Or, you know, the other side of that, that's like, okay, well, you know, there there is value to what prior generations have already experienced, right? Like if they've already done the thing and they've learned the hard lesson, you know, is there a way maybe where you know, the next generation can see that benefit from that and maybe not have to make the same mistake, right? You know, and so so I, I struggle with that, I think, sometimes as somebody who tries to, to teach and share information. But um, there is yeah. one, one thing that I talk about in my in my own videos a lot and on my blog is the mm -hmm. concept of taker culture, mm -hmm. um, which was a, a phrase coined by uh, the uh, social philosopher Daniel Quinn. Mm -hmm. And um he uh, and uh, Terrence McKenna called it dominator culture, and yeah. Yeah. and it's very much what when in Discordianism it's grayface culture. So it's the culture in which we live, mm -hmm. and part of taker culture is collective amnesia, where things mm -hmm. happen and we all go, oh well, we've learned. It's like sitcoms where you know at the end of every sitcom they're like, we've learned an important lesson, and then two episodes later they're in the same situation. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. It's this. It's like that, but on a cultural level where we we go through things we learn things and then it either doesn't transmit or we forget that we've had those experiences sort of collectively so the next generation comes along and they're making the same mistakes and it doesn't matter how much we try to teach them culture has already the taker culture has already kind of erased it from their memories yeah um which I, I don't know if that made sense. It made sense in my head. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 absolutely. I think, I think you're right. I mean, even, even without looking at, um, you know, terminology, like, you know, gray face and taker culture, these kinds of things, I think, I think most people can agree that we, we kind of live in a world, a culture, and there are a lot of pieces to this. A big component is just our technology and social media and these kinds of oh, things. Absolutely. But we, but we live in a culture now where we're, I think we're, we're inundated with so much that it does, it does, I think, get difficult over time to be able to you know remember the core piece right to stick to yeah, the yeah. foundation right so yes no i, I can yeah I, that makes perfect sense i uh, do think there are sort of sort of touchstones along a pagan or witchcraft path that i think everyone goes through mm -hmm. and i think that it would be useful to document that as sort mm -hmm. of a map like like a hero's journey for for the modern pagan because ah, okay you know like i know i went through it and i'm sure countless other pagans and witches went through this that moment in your youth when you realize the virgin mary is a goddess yeah and that becomes like a whole thing and i have seen from my my own late 20s on i have seen younger pagans have that moment and but it's very like did y'all know this oh my god i've i've this is an innovation nobody has ever thought of this before mm -hmm. it is my epiphany yes yeah and it was like no people figure that out about 300 AD like this has been around for a while but you know it's like they ha they we have those epiphanies and we don't have anything really in place to say yes you were have you know it's not it's not as initiatory an experience as it could be mm -hmm. yeah this has already had yeah yeah <laughs> we're 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 Italian which is so yeah um. <laughs> so well yeah I, mean, I was I was gonna say yeah our our personal tradition yeah we yeah, but but that but you do that could just kind of make yeah. you think like how like how far back in those traditions yeah. before you found those people that were like, oh holy shit, there's a line here. Well, you know? so like, I, I took a course called Awakening yeah. the Witch, mm -hmm. and I had a student in the last the last round of course courses that I taught that, and 
she had this aha moment of like, wait, my mother's praying to Diana. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh-huh. And well, she, well, I mean, based on some traditions. Based on some traditions. Yeah. I mean, in, in Italian traditions, yeah, the statues that were originally Diana were turned yeah. into Mary. Yeah, and, yeah, and and, many they are. Mary and Diana are, are syncretized, yeah. yes. And it was just like this mind-blowing thing that happened for her. And I was like, oh. But now you've gotten to see, like, in the aftermath of that, you've gotten to see how her practices evolve. Yes. Which is very cool. Well, she had this, yeah. she, she had this uh, particular particular type of OCD she has it called scrupulosity or scrupulosity 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 where like she obsesses over religious iconography and so we did this working to connect with the energies of Diana and she did not have a good time my student did not have a good time she after the ritual she excused herself and she had a little bit of a moment and then the next week we did a full moon ritual dedicated to Diana and she was there and ready after she had that realization. And she was like, I'm going to fuck some bitches up. And I was like, hey. was, I think it was very freeing for her. I think in that situation because it allowed her to step away from a lot of the, uh, we'll just say limiting elements of prior Christian belief. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, though she does not work directly with those gods at this point, she has been able to allow herself to develop a relationship with the goddess Bost. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's it was very freeing for her. Interesting so, choice. Yeah. Okay. That sounds like a Paul Cusin, if you've ever read uh yeah, yeah. Craft, yeah. He had a whole ritual on unbinding. And mm-hmm. yeah. it, it was yeah. this thing on the like the first step on any witch's path is unbinding because even if you don't think you're Christian, Christian ethics have permeated your life. Yeah. And you yep. have to break those bonds. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, I think we we see that same concept. I think popping up now. I know there are a lot of of um, you know people kind of within within you know within the community, right? You know, we talk a lot of things about you know like uh, like deprogramming, mm-hmm. you know, like decolonization. You know, I mean, we talk about these things, and I I think it, it is kind of cool to see how that that process is something that's really kind of been a component the whole time. And that's actually um, uh, Phil Hine, the author Phil Hine, set down yeah. um, principles of chaos magic at one point where he was like, this is what you should be kind of, this is a framework to use as you're practicing chaos magic. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggies was deconditioning, yes. which is another way of approaching unbinding or decolonization. And it's stripping away all of our deeply ingrained beliefs so that we can use our beliefs as a tool, but mm-hmm. also so that we can view the world around us objectively so that we're not. Yes. And that's, that is one thing we see on on TikTok and social media and in general. Um, I use TikTok a lot as an example because I kind of went down that rabbit hole for a few yeah. months and just like yeah, yeah, life yeah. was TikTok. Um, but I see a lot of people who have not done any work to decondition mm-hmm. where they're, and I, um, I'll never find it again because it just sort of like floated across my feed one day, but it was um, a woman, and I may have made a video about this, a woman just yelling about Gardnerians. And hmm. just listing off all these things. And she had like a rolling pin or something. And she was beating a table. And she was like, Gardnerians do this thing. You need to stop it. And she would hit the table. And I was like, that's borderline domestic abuse there, ma'am. You're getting a little violent. Yeah. But but it was, she had this list of things that she didn't think Gardnerians should be doing because she didn't approve of them. And hmm. because she didn't approve of them, she was adding she was bringing in a lot of elements that didn't really need to be there like 
like she was like a ritual nudity. She didn't like the idea of ritual nudity. Gardnerians don't need to be doing ritual nudity because we live in consent culture. We live in a consent culture. And it was like, oh. well, so you're implying that what we're doing is non-consensual, even though the very nature of the tradition is consensual. But it was stuff like that where she was really yeah. like creating, like, but it was all kind of, you know, her own, her own baggage that yeah. she was projecting onto everybody else. And I was like, ma'am, you're still Protestant. I know you think you're Wiccan mm -hmm. and you've, you've created this Wiccan persona. Yeah. But my dear. <laughs> yeah. You are a high like... Baptist at best. Yeah. Well, that, that always gets me too. Cause the first thing a lot of people go for when it comes to, to Wicca is the ritual nudity. Mm -hmm. And unless you're a part of that tradition, we're not saying you need to practice in the nude. Right. That is strictly our thing. And there are even some Gardnerian covens that don't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, it is an evolving tradition. I mean, I mean, during the height of the pandemic, when everything shut down, there was there were covens who were accepting online students and yeah. starting online training mm -hmm. and and stuff like that. Yeah. And so for everyone thinking that the that it's so stuffy and stuck up, it's just like, I mean, only a little bit, but not <laughs> a lot. And and it it's it's always just well, I think you'll find historically that Wick is also not the only tradition that would have that would have no. had uh you know coven type gathering no type working devonshire where people, craft where people would have been naked devonshire yeah. cornwall yeah uh, even italian practices yeah even yeah. italian practices yeah. so this idea that ritualistic nudity was never a thing or that it's non-consensual no there no, is a that... lovely 15th century woodcut and i cannot remember the artist's name but the title is four witches mm -hmm. and it's four naked women standing around what looks like either a skull or a pomegranate or something mm -hmm. um and there's of course there's the devil and there you know 15th century woodcut of course there's the devil in there mm -hmm. oh, um, yeah. but it's a beautiful yeah. piece but each woman is wearing a different headpiece and each headpiece is very iconic of a specific social class so you have mm -hmm. one woman wearing something that would have been decidedly lower class and sort of a peasant class and one woman wearing something that really in you know and part part of the message was probably like anyone can be a witch like don't trust your neighbors yeah but the kind of the meta message there was it doesn't matter what class they're from because together they are a coven and they are equal in this coven yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah true hmm. yeah. well we've kind it's, of it's it's hard to it's hard to dress up better than everybody else if nobody's dressed in anything that's true very, that's very true unless apparently you're alex saunders um oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so it sounds to me like like I mean you you you've already really shared a lot of good information along these lines you know which is some of, just just some of our prior conversation but you know, but I wanted to ask you know in you know as someone as you you, you identify your earlier you know you said you could you said that you were old right and um you know and, and obviously I think you know, we all have a different definition of what that really means for you know for ourselves right but um but as somebody who has you know you've been around a little bit longer right uh, particularly within the, you know the communities we're talking about right um and someone who has you know wisdom and experience and you know you know just just you just the perspective of having seen so much change over the years in the community um 
And I want to go on record right now. I don't really think I don't I don't view Thumper as as old. I don't see oh. Thumper as old. Well, um, I, I was I was born in 1975, and I started identifying as old in about 1983. Okay, yeah, like, gotcha. I, I've been a curmudgeonly old man since I was in like third grade. I've been I, in... same. Yeah, we we can totally get behind that. Yeah, um, <laughs> my my Shih Tzu, who's not even two yet, she's a crotchety old woman. She's been a crotchety old woman since she was about six months old. It's true. At slumber parties, I was hanging out in the kitchen with the parents talking about the PTA. Like, Same. I was not very good at being a kid. Yeah. Same. Well, I mean, from the, you know, from the, obviously just, you know, who you are today, I'm sure as, as as a young person, as a child, you, you were probably highly precocious. And yeah. So, yeah. I was uh, very precocious. I yeah. am now, I, when I was 12 years old, I was, for some reason, I was flipping through a newspaper, my parents' newspaper, and there was an article in like the lifestyle section about a coven of witches going to see the witches of Eastwick. Hmm. And it was probably like an AP clipping involving Lori Cabot. Yeah. Like, but at, at 12 years old, I was reading this thing that witches were real. And I looked at my parents and I was like, I'm going to be a witch. And they were like, you know, not sure how we feel about that. <laughs> Why don't we stick with Episcopalianism for. Oh, Okay. And from that moment on was when I was just like, I'm going to, one day I'll figure this out. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, we'll get back to what I was saying a moment ago. Um, oh, no, oh, no, you're, no, you're fine. You're fine. I just, I just, yeah, like, I, I kind of took us on a tangent there around, you know, about age. No, but, no, but I wanted to say, you know, as someone who has, you know, has had, you know, you're, you're very, you know, you're so knowledgeable and, you know, and you, you just, you, because of just the perspective that you've got, um, you know, what if you had any guidance anything to really share you know anything else perhaps i maybe i should say to share that you feel would be helpful for say like the current generation of, of say like younger practitioners or people who are interested or even maybe you know people who maybe haven't dived in yet but they're considering it what you know would, the, would there be a piece of advice or wisdom that you would have i would say don't be afraid to make mistakes yes and if you do make mistakes more than likely nothing bad is going to happen yes witchcraft in my experience witchcraft tends to either work or it doesn't and if i make mistake like and sometimes making mistakes doesn't really affect the outcome of the ritual of the spell anyway <laughs> yeah that's true yeah but it's there has always been this idea that we have to come out of the gate as experts mm -hmm. and it that's that's just not the way the world works we have to start somewhere and it's okay to be new and it's okay to be learning and it's extremely okay to say i don't know let's go find out yeah you know um but i know that when i was in my late teens and was like sneaking outside to to practice like <laughs> like low-key no idea what i'm doing witchcraft <laughs> at that age there was always this fear of okay, I'm about to light this candle. I might go to hell, oh. you know, or <laughs> I'm, I don't think I pronounced that word correctly. I may have offended the gods. You know, there was always, there was a little bit of fear mm -hmm. that was always in the back of my head that took a long time to let go of. Yeah. Um, and I, I am the Virgoist Virgo, whoever Virgoed. And I, I, if I can't do it perfectly. I don't want to do it. Um, <clears throat> but so much of what I've learned has come from mistakes and, you know, no matter how big of a mistake I made, the gods have not have not smote me. I have not gone yeah. to hell. I don't yeah. think either is going to happen.
Yeah. Well, okay. I do see, especially on on modern social media, there is a lot of fear mongering out there. Yes. Yes. And and if you don't do these things, here's what's going to happen. And I'm a 16th generation ne- Nebraskan spatula witch. And mm-hmm. if you don't do things the way <laughs> I tell you to, and it's you know, and the superstitions like that don't really do anybody any good. Yeah. And you know, all all that does is make people insecure in their own abilities when if they really want to be witches they need to grow the confidence and they grow the confidence by doing it and fucking it up and getting back up and doing it again yeah all right i i really like that because that's something that i i really do agree with um when when i do take on private students or you know when when i was in a wiccan coven and i um I, I, you know, usually training duties are kind of shared depending on what level you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I always had to remind some of the, the the seekers, like, okay, so I'm going to tell you a story of our high priestess, and it's going to be funny because I always share the story of where she was going through the entire evocation and she like did a ritual movement and it hit the the chandelier in the living room that we were in and a a crystal fell off and she fumbled over her words dropped her dropped her blade and it landed in the middle of the altar just like point into it (laughs) and everyone in the circle was just so mortified. We were like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And she, without missing a beat, said some snarky comment I cannot remember and laughed her ass off to the point where everyone was laughing. We we had like a good five minute laughing session. And mm-hmm. then she was like, oh, okay, well, let's wrap up because my abs hurt and I'm hungry now. <laughs> and and I, I would always share that story with them and that would help relax them. And I, and, and I, I've, I've had that moment, you know, who hasn't had that moment where you're in the middle of a, uh, of a ritual or a working and all of a sudden, I don't know where you've been down to do something and your stomach's like, and you're like, don't do it. Don't fart in front of the gods. Don't <laughs> fart in front of the gods. And then it happens and you're like, sorry. And the only thing that you can feel is just like, all humans are weird yes we are weird and squishy little creatures yes we are and i i had an experience this weekend where i went to austin witch fest which was a much bigger festival than i was anticipating there's about two thousand hmm. people there wow and uh the jason menke was uh, the author jason menke was was one of the guest speakers one of the hmm. one of the the guests of honor yeah and he was doing he was going to run this ritual and I was really impressed with how he did it because it was about 30 or so people standing in a big circle in sort of a clearing near the, near the entrance to the venue. So people were coming and going and there was music playing and he managed to keep everybody focused and everybody intent and like just did a spectacular job. Yeah. But um, as we were getting ready to start this ritual, he asked me if I would call North and I was very like, Oh, I'm honored. Yeah. Like this is, this is a big deal. Yeah. And you know, I have enough of a, of a theater background where he just gave me a note card that had the script typed on it. Hmm. And I was like, I can do this. I can improvise. I've got this. And I called North and I was very proud of myself. And I spoke from the diaphragm and projected 
and he did this ritual it was called gifts of the witch father and it was a really cool ritual and it just the fact the way he got everybody involved in it was amazing hmm. and he was like and now we close the circle and we dismiss the north and he and 30 people turned to stare at me and i was like what and it, <laughs> took, me, it took me about 30 seconds to realize that the dismissal was printed on the back of the card Oh, <laughs> so they were all staring at me and I was just staring back. Like, I don't know what y'all want me to do about it. Like, I'm just here for the ride. And, but it went fine. Like, mm-hmm. I was mortified. And in chatting with some friends afterwards, like what I thought was this horrifying public mistake was something literally nobody noticed. Yeah. You know, anytime yeah. there's a dramatic pause in ritual, people think it's just that. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had a number of, uh, we, we, we do public ritual here uh, through the shop for, you know, the local community. And um, yeah, and there, there've been a number, a number of times where we've had something similar happen and, and without fail. And we, we have uh, like dedicants in our coven who, you know, will tap every once in a while be like, Hey, would you step in and do this piece for us in this ritual? You know, would you, you know, and they get so anxious and nervous. Like, I don't want to screw up, you know, and, and we're constantly telling them, you know what, you may know that you made a mistake, but no one else in that room will. Um, you know, so yeah, so I, I can totally relate. Yeah. You know, theater came out of ritual and a strong wrong is always better than a weak, right? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) That that is really true. Yeah. I, 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 so I have so many stories. I'm sure you do. Of just like, like, excuse me. There was one time we were going to, we were getting ready to do a public belting ritual in one of the last covens I was in. Mm -hmm. And we were thoroughly convinced we had brought the salt for the circle casting okay thoroughly convinced well salt doesn't get sticky when it gets wet uh it was sugar okay and so we used sugar in the circle casting that's how you get ants and it worked (laughs) and all everyone else knew was, wow, the energy is really like, there's a lot of kind of like fairy vibe going on right now. <laughs> and my high priestess was just like, it's Beltane. There you go. No that one is, knew. That is no where one. having, you know, I, I am down for improvisational ritual and speaking from the heart and spontaneity, but having at least a, rit- a ritual framework in place in your head mm-hmm. is the most useful thing. To yes. Me because mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I can get, I can go off script and do whatever, but as long as I kind of have some points along the way, like one, one of my like moments of pride in with witchcraft was putting on a ritual, realizing at the last minute, I did not have a ritual script and just going for it. And I had a framework in mind. I knew when I need what I wanted to do and when I wanted to do it. And a friend of mine was there and I did this ritual with some other people. And my friend was like, that was really good. That was a very, and I was like, I made it all up. I made all of it up. I just started confessing to him. <laughs> <laughs> I made the whole thing up, but I had those little signposts along the way. Like, yeah, yeah. not yeah. only knowing what I wanted to do next, but, and this is one thing that I think does get left out, left out of witchcraft sometime. It is, we have the how, but having the why along with the how really helps. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. This is what we're doing, and this is why we're doing it. Yeah. Yes. So even in a spontaneous improvisational ritual, when we have those little cues in mind, it keeps things flowing, and it keeps us on track of what we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, also, I also think that's kind of a badge of, uh, or or not a badge, but like a, 
an indication of, you know, when you get to a point in your practice where, where I can say you really have a practice, mm. you know, where you're like, I've done this enough that I can go into the situation and I already have what I need within me to be able to carry this off. Yeah. Less yeah. badge, more maybe battle scar. There you go. Yeah, there you go. That's probably a better way to put it. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yes. God. Well, the first well earned battles. The first time I did not have a ritual script because I left it back home, mm-hmm. I was yeah. terrified. But then I was like, hashtag theater kid activate. Exactly. Boom. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, somebody forgot the lines. Time for me to save the day. Like, yeah, that the theater kid background comes in handy in the most ridiculous of ways, but especially witchcraft. Especially witchcraft. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, I, you know, I don't want to keep you any any longer than we already have. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you. I'm anyway. enjoying this. Uh, so I have, have you... I'm loving this. This is well, good. Well, good. Well, good. I'm I'm glad. I think I, you know, I hopefully, I, you know, it's my hope. Somewhere down the line, maybe maybe we can have you back on, and we'll we'll talk about, you know, we'll we'll shuffle things up a little bit. I'm sure the things we had you talk about for us tonight are probably you you've probably answered some of those same questions god knows how many times but uh, i you know, love but, talking about it though yeah. like, well that's good like if somebody if i'm just chatting with a friend and they go what's discordianism i'm like okay we're gonna be here for at least 45 minutes so just <laughs> strap yourselves in i'm gonna get really excited i might be a little scary but let's get into it okay well, that's good though that's that's kind of nice actually because you know i think a lot of people after they've done something for a while you know, it, it, I won't say it becomes rote, but, you know, but, but, you know, the passion can certainly start to wane a bit. Right. So yeah. I think, I think that that's wonderful. That's excellent. I think that tells me that you're still really connected to what you're doing. That's good. Well, and it's, it's, it's nice when you have other people to, to share that with yeah, and yeah. people who yeah. are willing to open up and listen. I'm the same way when it comes to conjure root work and, 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 and Wicca. Yeah. Like I may not be a practicing Wiccan anymore, but the minute I'm like another traditional Wiccan, oh my god, we could share stories. Yeah, we can, and that is lovely. It is nice to find kindred spirits and to people yeah. who have had similar experiences. Yes, uh, I don't know if anyone else has shared the experience of almost relieving themselves because of the tea your high priestess made you drink. But you know, maybe I'm. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure somewhere out there, someone else has had a similar, oh, similar experience. That was spooky. That's what I you. Have... Need. I have yet to have to leave a ritual to relieve myself, but the night is young. It's going to happen one of these days. Uh, right, I'm right. Far too hydrated. Yeah. I didn't leave. So, yeah. I, 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 I held it out, and during a, a dramatic pause during the ritual, all you heard was, <laughs> and I was like, "It's happening." Well, this now, is now, how I embarrass now, myself. Now I feel now I feel weird because I'm feeling like I must be practicing in very different ways because I'm of the belief based on personal experience that you're not really involved in a practice until you've soiled yourself. I can see that. I could, I could roll with that. Yeah. I could roll with that. <laughs> so what you're saying is you as an herbalist are going to concoct a horrible tea mixer oh, no, no, for no. our dedicants. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about that on air. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So all right, so so Thumper, where where can our listeners follow you? Where can they find out more about you? Because you're you're a, a brilliant voice. You know what you're talking about. And anybody who who is listening to this podcast, you know, this is definitely someone else that you you've got to go check this this person out. Um, where 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 can they follow your 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 other exploits and adventures? My exploits and adventures. That's a good way. To, that's how it feels a lot of the time. That's a good way yeah. of putting it. On most social media, I am at fivefold law, mm-hmm. one word. 
Okay. Um, and uh, I write that blog for Patheos. So if you go to patheos.com slash blog slash law, you will find me. Um, if you Google Thumper Forge, I turn up in all sorts of weird places. Mm-hmm. Um, but mainly Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and the TikTok. All right. The best places to find me. All right. Well, and you told us. I you think made... I'm funniest on TikTok, but yeah. follow me wherever you want. Okay. Well, I, you're, you're the, what you, the blog you do for, uh, for Pethios is, um, is hilarious. Oh God. I, the stuff you read that you crack me up all the time. Um, and you're presenting good information too. So it's like, Hey, like I'm getting a good laugh and, and this, this person's teaching me something. Um, so it's a, it's a lovely combination. Uh, I appreciate but, that. I get, you know, reviews are mixed. I have people who really like what I write and that makes me happy. And I have people who absolutely hate write what I write. And that kind of makes me happier. <laughs> Well, I mean, as long as as long as it's for you, at least either way, it's a positive response. Right. What do they say? Like that, that's when you know you really arrived. Right. Is when you have haters. Right. I just I actually took a screenshot and sent it to a friend of mine. He was talking about just mean people being mean on the Internet. And I sent mm-hmm. him um, what I called polarized comments on my blog. <laughs> and it was, it was a blog post about the my Minoan Grove going to a Greek festival was it was just a very lighthearted oh, cheeky little story and in the oh, comments okay. in the comments somebody wrote fun with like a heart emoji and the comment right under that was this is fucking disgusting oh. and i was like we're calling that even I, wow yeah that's uh <laughs> wow okay if i could print that out and frame it i would that just made my day that's that that's that's pretty funny wow okay. i would rather be love hate than everybody kind of just going yeah he's all yeah right. that's true right yeah you know like yeah, ex- extreme yeah extreme opinions are i think always a good idea that you've actually got something going on that's yeah. a true discord yeah that's what i'm like you'll have to forgive me i just i was just the the visual i had or just just you you're going with your the group of your the manoa going to a greek festival i'm just like oh my god like i just 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 sitting here without even ha- hearing the experience in, in the story because I don't think I've read that post yet. I'll have to go looking for that one. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, sometime last year. It, okay, it, it basically the whole gist of it was we get there and and one of the guys was like, "I'm a little uncomfortable because this feels like a church social," and I was like, "Yeah, because all Greek festivals." Our church socials. Yeah. This is being put on by the local Orthodox church, dude. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, like the church is right there. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I think that's why I had, I, I like, I laughed a bit. I was like, oh, my God, I could only imagine. Um, That's funny. Okay. <laughs> but was the food good? The food was amazing. Oh, good. Okay. All right. And uh, the, the blog post itself, actually, I'll tell you, it's called Maiden Mother Clone. Maiden Mother Clone. Okay. And I think if you look it up tonight, I think you will get a kick out of it. It does okay. not the way people expected it to. Okay. Okay. I'm going to, okay. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to have to go read that because I must have missed that one. So um, I wanted to make sure I was following Thumper on Instagram and yes. I am. And I just saw that there was, that they had a meal of mini corn dogs <laughs> and pickle almonds pickle flavored almonds okay yeah and all i can say is where can i get pickle flavor flavored almonds and can i please also get a thing of mini corn dogs so the pickled almonds are are blue diamond spicy dill pickle almonds Ah. available at most grocers okay and in discordianism there's a whole taboo about hot dog buns not hot dogs just the buns oh and um you know how um uh in some religions like in catholicism you only eat fish on fridays and, mm-hmm. and some religions are vegetarian and all this stuff yeah in discordianism we kind of had that same taboo where we don't eat hot dog buns except on fridays we can have hot dog buns because we're 
remonstrating against the popular religions of the day who have food taboos. So on Fridays, we break our own food taboo and we can have oh. hot dog buns. Gotcha. And I just found some corn dogs and I decided that counted. Okay. <laughs> I can get on board with this. Okay. Yeah. I think I could. Yeah. I think and, so. I and we, we have the taboo about hot dogs because um, after uh, what's called the great snub, when Eris was not invited to the wedding where she threw the golden apple and ruined everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's called the great snub. And um, she went off and partook joyously of a hot dog. And that was her solace. Gotcha. Okay. So so now Discordians have a whole thing about hot dog buns. Okay. All right. Hey. I promise I'm not making it. <laughs> no. Oh, God, no, no. No, and, and it's actually, it's probably good you qualify that for our listeners, yeah, because they're going to hear that and they're going to be like, what is this guy talking about? But no, but that, yeah, like that's, that's, that's real. Yeah, like that's, that's part, yeah. So, that's yeah. Really part of it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That is, that is part of what is, where my name comes from, the law, uh, the five, one of the fivefold laws, there's a few different fivefold laws within Discordians. Mm-hmm. But there is uh, five things that all Discordians must do, and that's called the pentabarf. Mm. And one of one of them is uh, eat hot dog buns on Fridays. Gotcha. Okay. And the last one is a Discordian is forbidden to believe what he reads. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. A Discordian is forbidden to what? To believe what he reads. Believe anything he reads. Yes. Oh. Believe anything he reads. Which totally shoots my own credibility in the foot. I'm like Discordianism. It's great. You should follow. Don't. Yeah. You don't listen to me at all. No, but that's but that's okay. But that that also I mean that that seems to be like that 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 seems apropos though. Like you know that's yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I love it so I, much. Yeah. All right. It's, it's a trip. I think yeah. people are finding it. Well, I know I think but but I think spiritual traditions, you know, beliefs, you know, how, you know, those those are I think those are the, the ones that I think more and more how am I trying to word this? Those are the ones I think that really kind of like kind of connect with people though, right? I mean, we're all as beings, we, we all tend to be very idiosyncratic. We all connect to things so differently, you know, and so many people are seeking something that is, um, you know, something that they can personalize, something that, you know, yeah, you know, I just, we're, we're such different people. And so when I, I hear about, you know, practices, you know, traditions, things like Discordianism, I'm like, th- like, this is the stuff that works. This yeah. is the stuff that works, you know, so, you, I, so I love one that. thing that, that made Discordianism really ring true for me and really influenced kind of just my approach to the occult in general was something that Carrie Thornley, one of the founders, said, because they were, he and Greg Hill were both, this was a joke. We started <laughs> this as a joke. Yeah. And um, somebody, um, I, Margot Adler had interviewed uh, Greg Hill, and then uh, he shared some things that Carrie Thornley had said about Discordianism. And one of the things Carrie Thornley said was, if I knew it was all going to come true, I would have picked Venus. Wow. And what they both what the founders really felt was yeah it started off as just them being satirical and parody but over time they eris became very real to them and Mm -hmm. became just very and they really saw her presence in the world and they didn't mean mean it to be that way but that's just how it happened yeah and so i've just kind of always rolled with that idea myself of even if i don't even know what i believe it it we'll see what comes true and i'll follow that yeah yeah no, I, I think I think that's great. Hmm? I love it. I'm giving snaps, but I don't want to okay. snap into the microphone. <laughs> I appreciate that. 
<laughs> all right well well um thumper thank you so much again once again for joining us tonight we're, we're gonna go ahead i think we're gonna call this an episode and um and thank you so much again just for giving us some of your time and it has been lovely yeah, for sharing with us it's it absolutely is it's been been wonderful to be able to, to, to chat with you like this to talk with you and to hear hear you know just you on some of these things um yeah and we're gonna we're gonna look forward to uh the books you've got coming out as well uh later this year and um and all y'all who are into astrology if you're looking for like Virgo and witchcraft, I mean, <laughs> there you go, right? And um, yes, and I'm 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 very excited for the the book you've got coming out in 2024. I think I think that's going to be amazing. Um, yeah, obviously I, we will stock it in our shop. Well, absolutely, I, oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, I pitched it not knowing how it would go over, and the publisher was like, "Why not?" So I was like, "Okay, I guess I have to write it now." Is this a <laughs> is this a well known publisher? It is a well two L's known publisher. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad he picked up on my, on my there. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, we will, we will definitely make sure we will probably, we, we will, well, I'm not going to say probably, we we will make sure we stock both of those. We'll get both of those at the shop. Um. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. Thank all right. And, and again, and hopefully we'll, we'll have you on again here sometime down the road. And we would just love the opportunity to talk with you a bit more. Anytime, just say one. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Bye. Bye. So, Austin, we have some listener questions again this week. Oh, and, do we? Um, yes, we do. And these are, I think, um, these are some cool questions. We've got a couple of different listeners. So, our first question, or I should say questions from one listener, um, have a lot to do with ancestral work. Okay, And they, they gave us a good amount of information, which I, I actually kind of enjoy because it gives us the ability, I think, to focus on details of these questions um, that we probably would not be able to if we were not being given a detailed kind of a kind of a, a contact. Right. Yeah. So. All right. So let's let's dive in. OK. Um, listener says uh, they're ready to ask us a few questions about ancestral work um, and they do apologize for the long email. Um, their questions, uh, they don't have many questions, but they do need to uh, provide context for these questions. So they start with uh, with the first one, I guess, is uh, they, they say they've been working with their ancestors for about a year now and have had some experiences with these spirits that have left them feeling a bit confused. When they first began to work with them, they were living home with their parents, okay. uh, which was unfortunately a toxic living situation for them. Uh, around that time, they started to have dreams of their ancestors, and their ancestors were asking them in the dreams to build them a home in their in in their this person's room in the listener's room. Um, so basically, the ancestors asking listener to build them a home or a physical space of representation in their bedroom. Okay, right. Um, they were unable to do this because their parents, the family that they were living with, were uh, very religious. Okay. Um, despite that adversity, uh, they were still going to try to build some sort of small altar and kind of keep it hidden or, you know, just, you know, sometimes, you know, people have to do these things, right? Mm -hmm. You live with people that aren't as open and as accepting, right? Uh, but before they could do this, they were told to stop what they were doing and wait for a specific ancestor to come through. Um, it was like they had called for this particular ancestor to come to help them with this situation, I believe like their living situation. Okay. So a few days later, um, in addition to just, just feeling the energy of ancestors around them, uh, they said that they would, f they f began to feel a very strong masculine energy. 
And uh, when they would sit to talk with their spirits, this energy would be very heavy um, to the point that they were having a difficult time even keeping their eyes open. Like it was just a very heavy, almost kind of like a very grounding kind of energy. Okay. Okay. So to continue, this particular male ancestor told them that he would help them to move out of that toxic living situation. Okay. And after a few weeks, they did move out. Um, they say that this is significant because previously they were completely unable to move out of that situation. They didn't have the resources or the, or the means, right? But once this spirit had kind of made this kind of, not a promise maybe, but like, you know, had said, like, I'm going to help you, all of a sudden things kind of fell in line, right? Mm-hmm. And they were able to get out of that space. Um, a few months later after this, uh, they woke up one night to see a gray haze that looked almost like a cloud hovering in their room. From that cloud, they heard a voice, a male voice, and it gave them advice on a problem that they were having within their life at the time. Um, This happened on more than one occasion. Um, And it happened enough that they actually, it looks like uh, they went to seek, or they sought help or validation on these things from uh, psychics. They went to two separate readers who would ask them if they had worked with a particular deity um, as this uh, presence, this energy, this male spirit, this this gray haze, right, um, was present. It would show up in their readings. Um, and it was also uh, like this same heaviness that they associated with this spirit was felt by the psychics they were reading with. Okay. okay. So they've done dream work to try to figure out who this energy is. I'm very curious about that because dream work, dream work can be tricky if you're, if particularly for a situation like this where you're already coming across with so many question marks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the answer that they got in a dream um, was that the, uh, let's see, hold on, I'm, I'm sorry. The answer I got was a dream in which I was in my ancestral home talking to a male figure who looked like them, only slightly different. Um, in the dream, they felt the utmost love and care coming from this spirit. So this is a spirit that is like, you know, this is a positive, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of a th- kind of an experience. They also energetically um, said that this spirit seemed very distant, not emotionally perhaps, but um, but a, a spirit maybe that has been gone or on the other side for a long time. Okay. Right. Um, so questions, clarification. Okay. So the question is, is this a normal sequence of events for ancestral work. So let's start with that one. I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes, but I'm also going to say that everyone's ancestors are going to come through differently because everyone's ancestors kind of have their own MO and like their own calling cards. Are you calling this person's ancestor a Mo? No. What, (laughs) what I'm saying is like, um, just using mine for an example, when my ancestors from my father's side comes come through, mm-hmm. it's very warm, it's very light, but there's also a certain weight to it that yeah. is like um it's like a weighted blanket almost. Okay. Whereas when the ancestors on my mother's side, and these are just my ancestors of blood and bone, not spirit and heart, but when the ancestors on my mother's side come through, there's a lot more fire. Um, there's a lot more ec- ecstatic energy that mm. just kind of comes through. Interesting. Um, which is... Having met your family, I would almost have 
thought it would be the reverse. Well, yes, I, mean, at I least get cur- it. At least current members right? of family, right? right? Um, so I would say yes, but I think that would be very. This listener's situation would be very specific to that spirit. Um, Because, again, every spirit that's going to come through is going to have a different feel. It's going to have a different vibe. It's Mm going to have a different, again, calling card, you know? So um, so I'm going to say, yeah, it seems kind of like on on par with this, especially if there's an ancestor that is coming through and is wanting to make their their, their presence known. Then having something like this happen in dream work is not, not uncommon. Okay. Would you say it would be fair to say that, um, would you say it would be fair to say, boy, I'm, yes, I would say it is fair to say, 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 um, oh, I forgot to mention, and I've decided that in future, just for the sake of, of helping our, some of our listeners to, to kind of, you know, actually realize like, yes, we're talking about your situation. We're going to probably start using names. So those of you who are listening in future, if you want to submit a question and you're like, I don't want my name, even your first name on, on the podcast, give us an alias. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but um, getting back to uh, all uh, Ian, excuse me, Ian's question. Okay. Okay. Um, would you would you answer? Or would it be fair to say that these kinds of relationships? And you really did kind of say this already. So I guess I'm just kind of paraphrasing for clarity. Would it be fair to say that there really is no such thing as normal when it comes to this kind of of spiritual connection? Right, they, because you were just saying these are all going to be very distinct, very, very individual. Mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say again with everything that is spiritual, it's a yes and no. Um, your ancestors that come through are always going to feel familiar in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Whether that's ancestors of spirit and spirit, at, spirit and heart, or blood and bone, they're going to feel familiar in some way, shape, or form. Can you can you quantify that sense of familiarity though? Because I think people hear that word and they go, "Oh, I know this person." And very often that's not the case, particularly in a situation like this where you've got an ancestral spirit that could go back generations. Yes, I can, I, I, I can clarify that and, and, and kind of give some direction. It's, it's like when you meet a person just out in the real, normal, everyday world and you're like, you look familiar. And you've never met this person and this person's like, well, I don't know how I look familiar. I just got here from, you know, halfway across the continent. So, you know, I've never been here in my life. I don't have a big social media presence and they just look familiar. There's a familiarity there. Okay. So yes, that that's the kind of feel you can have every feel from that kind of like, I know you somehow. So it's kind of more, uh, would you say it would be almost kind of more of like an emotional kind of a connect or familiarity than more of like, than and less of like a a logical, like I've, I've seen this person before. Most definitely because I've also had ancestors come through and I'm like, I don't know who you are, but I know you somehow. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, they they add uh, another question here, uh, kind of along that that to 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 tack onto that first question. Um, is it possible that this spirit could be an elevated? They say elevated ancestor, and I, I'm not quite sure what their meaning is for that term. But they say, is it possible this could be an elevated ancestor, or could this be something else, uh, like like maybe some other type of spirit that maybe just has a history of connection to their actual like to their actual bloodline? Again, yes to both of those without doing a reading, without actually sitting down with this person and pulling cards or connecting on a psychic level, Mm -hmm. then I would say yes, it's most definitely a possibility there. Um, From my standpoint of conjuring root work, 
an elevated ancestor is an ancestor who did a lot for the family and everyone knows about. So an elevated ancestor for me uh, would be not just my mama and my Nona, but it would also be um, my great, great, great grandfather who like built the house that we helped Harriet Tubman hide slaves in so we could free them, we could assist in freeing them. That would be an elevated ancestor. Um, it could also just be a familial spirit that's attached to the bloodline somehow. Um, you know, if you've had folk magic practitioners, witchcraft practitioners, mm -hmm. magical or spiritual practitioners of any kind in your <clears throat> in your bloodline, mm -hmm. which most of us do, yeah. um, sometimes we had someone who is a little bit more into it than the rest, and they've made a pact or they've made a connection. And that spirit seems to kind of like just kind of cling to that to that bloodline and that generation and waits for the next person who is quote unquote taking up the mantle mm -hmm. to step forward and kind of be like, Hey, I'm here to guide you. Yeah. And and that's happened with me before as well. Okay. So yes and no. Okay. All right. So uh next next question or 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 you know next next in their their contact here. So um yes. Second question is, um, they say, sometimes my ancestors will tell me to work with specific spirits. Okay. Saints, to be okay. exact. They've told this this listener, they've told Ian that, that they should petition and even build relationships with St. Barbara, okay. St. Benedict, and St. Peter. Okay. Uh, but they are having a little bit of, of confusion around this because their ancestors are not Catholic. Um. So they're asking is they're curious to know why their ancestors would try to bring them in alignment with the spirits of saints when there was no, for these ancestors, mm -hmm. when there was no religious association for them with Catholicism or with saints. Okay. Um, hold, hold on one sec. Um, <clears throat> wait, hold on. I'm I just want to make sure I felt, because I think I, I was missing something here. Let's see. Um Oh, oh, okay. Yes, okay. One of one of the things that they wanted to know, and uh, and we can kind of approach these, and you know, we'll, we'll answer these separately. But um, is that is it possible that the saints that they're being directed to could actually be, or that these are names that they're using for other spirits? Like we see that happen, like when we're talking about um, syncretization around, say, like the Orisha and saints, right? Okay. Like these, this kind of thing that can happen, uh -huh. right? Between like, yeah, you know, like Santeria, yeah. right? These kinds of practices. Yeah, so Lukumi. Exactly, like Lukumi, yeah, these kinds of things, right? So um, anyway, so so let's let's talk about saints first. So I, I think it, it's probably fair to say, and you, of course, you, you, you know, I want, to, I want you to weigh on this. Um, again, I think it's fair to say that even though our ancestors may not have been Catholic, may not have been a component of a particular religion a believer in a particular faith that saints because of their uh prominence in i think just contemporary understanding of spirituality and religion mm -hmm. i think that saints tend to kind of connect with all of us even if we're not religious even if we don't have religion behind us in our family all of us i think have some idea some potentially some connection an emotional connection mm -hmm. to the concept of a saint I, I would agree with that 100%. Well, and the reality is, is even when, um, even if you talk to um, uh, practitioners like uh, like Jeff, mm -hmm. uh, that witchy dude, yeah. uh, which Jeff, if you're listening, love you. Um, uh, Orisha is for everyone. 
they don't define between skin color or anything like that. And again, I'm I'm a white person saying this, and I'm sure other people are going to rise up against that. But you know, as long as you're approaching these things with respect, most of the time our reach our reach are pretty cool. You just you know you have to go through initiation stuff. But um, that's very much how saints are. Um, if we look at what the concept of a saint was, they are an individual who lived a lived in accordance with the values of their faith. Um, and not only that, but they also performed saint-like miracles, right? No, oh, I mean, that, that's one of the requirements. That's one of the requirements, right? A saint is you have to um, a miracle. And so my mama was not Catholic, um, but she still worked with saints and still prayed to saints because they're intercessors. Mm-hmm. They they are intercess, inter, intercessing spirits where... Does that make sense? Intercessing? Intercessory? Like intermediary? Intermediary. They're, they're intermediary... Inter-something. They're intermediary spirits that are closer to us than quote-unquote God would be mm-hmm. because yeah. they actually lived a human life. Yeah. And so because of that, it's not uncommon for the syncretization to happen with these spirits. Now, if this, if the listener is a person who does have roots in um, ATRs or something like that, or their family has roots in those types of things, it would not surprise me that they would say, you know, St. Barbara, St. Benedict, and St. Peter, mm-hmm. right? Because you have St. Barbara. Uh, Santa Barbara is the saint counterpart of a chango. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, St. Peter is the saint counterpart of Elegua. Um, and then St. Benedict, I do not know who the Orisha counterpart is to St. Benedict. I can't remember. And Benedict may not have an Orisha. I don't think, I don't think Benedict does. Um, I, I would, I'd have to check some sources on that. But most definitely, if your ancestors are saying like, hey, go do these things, then I'd say listen to them. And the cool thing is, is you don't have to be Catholic or even Christian to pray or work with saints Mm -hmm. because they're independent spirits slash egregores in and of themselves. Yep. And so you'd basically be just focusing on that pull of power. I, I did a simple prayer to St. Expedite because I needed some stuff to get here quickly so that I could do some stuff that I needed to do. And it came an entire day ahead of schedule. Um, so I have a 24 hours in advance before I need it. And that's great. So when we leave tonight, I have to stop by somewhere. I need to get some pound cake, roses and water. Um, but so, yeah, I, I think you'd be safe to do some research on those saints and see maybe why, like, what is the connection? What is the draw to these spirits that your ancestors have been directing you towards? If that makes sense. Because your ancestors aren't just going to point you in a direction and not have a reason. I mean, sometimes they might, but usually those are our ancestors who like to just play games and teach us not to be so serious. Okay. All right. Um, all right, because I kind of think we sort of, we sort of answered the second part of that, I think, with a, that bit of that discussion under the syncretization between uh, saints and other kinds of spirits, like Orisha, these yeah. kinds of things. So, so I think we got there. Um for additional context, um, they, they want to say that they do trust that these spirits that they're getting this communication from are their ancestors. Um, but the, 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 that, the question, I guess, is that they're, they're, again, they're kind of just wondering if this is normal for ancestor work. And, you know, and again, from what we were just saying, there's there's no such thing as normal. Yeah, there's no such thing as normal for ancestor yeah, Whatever is normal for you, that's what normal is. Yeah. Um, 
uh, they say that when they started their journey um, in, in working with ancestors, that their spell work was, uh, that they struggled with spell work. Their spell work was not the best um, and that it would yield little to no result. Uh, the ancestors told them to, to pray to them, to work with them and to rely on them. Um, and then they recognized that as they did this, they did their spell work improved. Mm -hmm. They got better and they got better results. Oh, um, and that's they, good. The spirits told them that they should lean on them for anything. Um, and, and whenever a promise was made, these spirits kept their promise. Um, so these spirits also apparently have helped guide them to specific books and teachers that have helped to impact their practice. Um, so once again, they're feeling much better about their practice right now. Um, one of the other things that they, they did notice though, and I guess this is another kind of, another question would be, um, their ancestors were never really witches. Um, in addition to not being, you know, Catholic as well, right? Mm -hmm. they, they, so, so I guess there's some question that they also have as to why, um, why they would be um, maybe so inclined to step in and, and assist with witchcraft as a practice when they themselves maybe didn't really have involvement in these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, and I really, I think the easiest answer there is that if they're your ancestors they love you and they're just going to want to help you mm -hmm. and if the way that they need to help you the way that that help needs to, needs to manifest is through witchcraft and the spiritual work you're doing that'll be what they do well we also have to understand that all of our ancestors at some point every everyone's ancestors no matter what just did the thing that they did no matter what, yeah. um, whether that was an Italian folk magic practitioner, a American folk magic practitioner, Polish folk magic practitioner, whatever it may be, what they did is what they did because that's what they were taught. And so whilst we may be pe perceiving it as witchcraft and we are labeling it as witchcraft to our ancestors, they're probably just seeing that like, oh, it's literally the same thing that I did. Yeah. Well, I also want to say it's kind of it's kind of an interesting thing because we you know we we've had the conversations kind of like this with a lot of people over the years yeah. where someone is they're they're very new to witchcraft and they start to research and learn and then because of course those uh questions that can pop up around ancestors and ancestral work that you know we, we're always kind of seeing those pop up at some point in practice mm -hmm. right um they start to do a little bit of digging and it's it's been my experience and i'm sure yours as well uh that most of us have very often we will have an ancestor somewhere along the line that um, never really claimed to be a witch, never really claimed to be a folk magician, never really, you know, whatever the title would be. Right? It's just what they did. But, um, well, not well, not only that, but they never really claimed it and they were never really public about any kind of spiritual practice. But everybody else in the family knew that, like, great aunt so-and-so, like, oh, yeah, we always had suspicions that she was a witch. Mm -hmm. You know, we would go over to her house to visit and there was always a candle lit with who knows something around the base right i mean like so i think it's it's also fair to say that very often we 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 have to admit we don't really know what our ancestors really were up mm -hmm. to a lot of the time uh, um, well well that and we also have to remember that our ancestors are not just the ancestors that we knew and this is what a lot of people get hung up on is yeah. a lot of people get hung up on well my ancestors are my great grandmother my great grandfather da, 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 da. all the people that i've seen all these photos of and mm. that is most certainly true but mm. that is not the only pool of ancestors you have yeah you have ancestors that may have decided to follow your spirit and your soul from your past life. You have ancestors who you might not have even been directly related to who pop up. You know, you have your, again, your ancestors of blood and bone, and then you have your ancestors of spirit and heart. And 
what I urge all of our listeners to do, they're focusing on ancestral work. Take that concept and that idea of, well, my ancestors wouldn't like or approve of this. And so they're not going to come through and remove it because not all of your ancestors are like that. All of your ancestors, your one, the ancestors you knew are not the monolith for the rest of your ancestors. Well, you'll have ancestors of different kinds. Exactly. Just saying, like your ancestors are not always going to be limited just to blood and genetic ancestry. Um, But we we've had a few instances, particularly as we've been doing like um, mediumship and seance work over the years, where. Um, and I won't say this is always the case, um, and it's something I think that does also happen over the course of many, many, many years, mm-hmm. right? Many generations of family. But very often, the ancestor that we had, say, like three or four generations back, that we know from stories and information coming down through those those in between kinds of, of generational lines, right? Those 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 other family members, um, you know, they'll they'll tell us these stories about how oh, you know, Grandpa blah 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 was like, you know, he was really strict and he was like really devoutly religious like crazy religious right you know hellfire brimstone kind of baptist kind of religious right um you know but he lived you know like 200 years ago right and has been gone a really long time oh boy we got noisy street traffic um he's been gone you know a really really long time and it's probably fair to say that our, our spirits we we do kind of continue to grow and evolve most definitely after death like we're you know, when we die, you know, we're, we're really, we probably aren't likely to change too much from who we were in life, mm-hmm. right? But over the course of a couple of centuries, like if that spirit is choosing to stick around and continuing to watch their descendants, right, in some capacity, they're still learning and growing and evolving. And you might be surprised, like great, great grandpa who was, you know, a crazy zealot, you know, Baptist, you know, he maybe loosened up a little bit. In the mm-hmm. last couple of centuries, right? So, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's also something I think that is, is worth mentioning, right, and uh, and addressing. So, um, they do end up or do wrap up their email. Actually, they do they do qualify in here that they do have suspicions that some of their ancestors may have practiced ATRs. Okay. Uh, but they haven't really been able to confirm that. Okay. Um, what what I would say for that. Um, you said you've already gone and gotten readings from from psychics and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, find an ATR practitioner who has the authority to actually do a reading. Mm-hmm. Book with them. Um, and vet that person very carefully. Yes. Because there are a lot of people out there claiming to be something they are yes. not. Um, and if you're, getting, if you're getting a reading with someone who is saying that they are a hungan and that they can totally do this all over zoom or they can do it over over facetime or whatever a hungan's not going to do that they're not going to do that um do i believe that they have the ability to do that yes i i I do believe it but if they're actually a practitioner of an atr there's a reason it's called african traditional religions and traditionally you would seek this person out pilgrimage to them and sit in front of them whilst they did the reading and that's why that's how they keep those traditions traditional and so that this reader i don't know where where this person is at um I have no idea. If if they want to come back and let us know like whereabouts they're at, then I could maybe pull some sources and pull some pull some things and see if I know anybody or if I know someone who knows someone who's legit um, in their area that they'd be able to go and seek some information from. Um, you could always reach out to Jeff at that witchy dude, um, and Jeff could probably help you out a little bit there too and point you in the right direction. So 
There you go. All right. Um, okay. All right. We got an answer there, I think, or we're, we we addressed that. Mm-hmm. Let me see. I'm getting into... Yes, and I will tell you now, uh, uh, fair listener, um, Ian, fair right? Fair listener. I, it's because I forgot the name. Ian, right? Um, e- yes, Ian. Ian. Yes. Um, I'll tell you now, Ian, um, when you fill that, fill that poll, like if you're filling that poll already to ATRs, it is worth it to go seek out some legitimate practitioners just to get even if you don't plan on doing it, but just to get some verifiable information and maybe a good kind of like, I don't want to say mentor, but a good connection. So that way, if you have questions, you can reach out to them. Okay. All right. So our next question. So our next question uh, comes uh, from Natasha via Instagram. Um, and they say, hi, my name is Natasha, and I've been listening to your podcast hi, for the Natasha. past week. And they love it. They started their spiritual journey in uh, late spring of 2022. So it's, it's been about a year. Um, and they're saying it's been a roller coaster, as is often the case with spiritual work. Um, they've been thinking about witchcraft, but they are still hesitant, as there seems to be a lot of information out there. Um, they do say that our, our podcast has kind of helped them uh, they say tremendously, but we've we've been very helpful, I guess, and and you know as they've kind of they've kind of progressed over the last year. Okay. So thank you so much for that, Natasha. We're, we're yes, glad thank to you. hear that. Um, so the issue that that they have is that they have been having it looks like a a dream, um, a lot of dreams actually. So it's not one consistent dream, but but there are are details that that move through or, or kind of are very similar in these dreams. Um, a theme. Yes, there you go. A theme. Um, so they've been having a lot of dreams over like the past twenty years now where they are always in a battle or a fight of some kind. And the circumstances and and who they are fighting differ a bit. They say that in some of these dreams, they're fighting against giants. In other dreams, they are in what they believe is like a revolutionary war. And they're stealing guns from men and then escaping uh, by jumping through like a portal of some sort. Okay. Um, so they say, for me, it's unclear if that has to do with my purpose, and if so, what would be the best place to start for something like that? Maybe first in determining whether or not that's the case. Okay. Um, and, you know, and then beyond that, you know, what to do or how that maybe influence their progression of their spiritual path. Okay. They do qualify. They also add that they are a black woman who grew up in a Pentecostal family. Okay. Slash church. Um, they've left that religion. Um because basically the, the what they were being told just never really sat well with them. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, and that's 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 basically it. So okay. so interesting dream situation here, and you know, and in starting to maybe kind of piece this apart, I want to say it would probably be worthwhile for you to. Um, I think if you are if you don't have this ability yourself to again, I want to say maybe seek out or to connect with someone who is uh, an experienced and a legitimate dream interpreter mm-hmm. um beyond that i think it would be good at least with some of these dreams you know we're talking about like you know fighting in a revolutionary war a revolutionary war these kinds of things to actually do perhaps maybe some sort of past life reading as well to see if you have the ability to connect to something in prior incarnation mm-hmm. um somewhere in your past that maybe would tie you to maybe not those specific details but maybe lifetimes where maybe you were a soldier Maybe you were a warrior. Maybe you found yourself in a situation where you were living somewhere that was in the middle of a war, 
right? Um, and that would, I would think, also help to kind of unlock some things, help you to kind of start to string these details together a bit more. Um, that's that's where I'm going to start. Okay. Now, go, go ahead, go ahead. I'm going to follow that up with, um, do not fall into the trap that a lot of new practitioners and new people fall into when it comes to past life things. It's called a past life Mm-hmm. For a reason. Yes. That does not mean that if you were a soldier and a warrior in a past life, that in this life you have to join the military. Um, maybe you've already joined the military. Who knows? Um, but that does not mean that you have to join these things. And you have to live out your past life again. Your past life is your past life. Yes. And it should remain that way. Mm-hmm. This is not me saying, oh, past life things are bad. Don't do it. I'm saying if you're going to go into it, go into it with the go into that past life reading with the idea of like, I'm going to get information Mm -hmm. so that I can get clarity on something that is connecting these things together in this life. So that way you can move past it, Mm -hmm. not repeat it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of it is about integration and getting to a point of clarity or being able to, to better understand, okay, how does my background, how does where I've been, uh, ultimately inform where I am today. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, without then, as you were saying, needing to decide, oh, I need to try to reclaim that or repeat that. Yes. Right. Um, because you're not doing your spiritual uh, self and your your path, your evolution as a soul. You're not doing yourself mm-hmm. any credit by continuing to go back and trying to repeat things. Yes. Um, you know, as just as a bit of an yes. aside. And I, I don't see that this person is doing that necessarily, yeah. but that is a very good catch. Um, psychologically, I'm going to follow that up with if you're const- if, if you're if the theme of your dreams is constantly fighting and battling, um my response would be, why do you feel like you're constantly have to fight? Mm-hmm. What is the reasoning that you are constantly on the on guard or on defense or well, I'm, on I'm, attack mode? I'm going to say one right here, and and forgive me, I am I am not a black person, mm-hmm. but but uh, Natasha does does did say that they were a black woman. Yes, who grew up in a Pentecostal family yes. church, and we understand that Christianity is also in and of itself a mechanism of white supremacy. Yes. But we're dealing with a black woman who is trying to navigate the world that we live in now. True, true. And so that alone is probably enough for this person to feel like they are fighting. True, true. So I'd say that might be something you want to want to sit with for a minute mm-hmm. and ask yourself, like, check in with your own personal sovereignty. Is Do you always have to have your, your armor up and ready to go? Or can you actually set that down and relax for a minute so that way you can actually enjoy life mm-hmm. for a second? Because yeah. life is shitty, especially for a lot of uh, our BIPOC brothers and sisters and uh, and they thems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get that. Um, but if you're constantly living in that state, yeah. one, that's not healthy. Two, you need a therapist. And mm-hmm. three, that's not benefiting you on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's putting a damper, dampener on your spiritual progress and making it so you're just constantly ready for a fight. Yeah, it, it is. These are the kinds of, of dreams or the kinds of patterns of dream imagery, I think, that pop up a lot, regardless of your your lived circumstances or your living circumstances. These are the kinds of things, I think, that pop up in dreams a lot where you are someone that is in, um, like, constantly living in kind of, like, survival mode. Yes. Or you're someone that maybe is carrying some sort of trauma. Uh-huh. And, you know, and we all do, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there's no judgment here. No, no judgment um, at all. Yeah. I have dreams um, where my teeth are falling out all the time. Yeah. But we have to, we have to, we do need to kind of be honest about that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another example of how all the different aspects of our being all kind of overlap in some way. 
Um, it's interesting some of the dream symbolism, you know, um, I've actually talked with a other couple of other people over the years as I've helped to do in dream interpretation for some people. And dreaming of giants is always a really interesting thing when that pops up because I've talked with other people who've had that dream. Um, and if it's persistent, it's kind of interesting. And I think if we look at, you know, a way for you maybe to piece that uh, again to or to kind of again, yeah to kind of piece that apart or to look at how to maybe um, you know get to, to deeper meaning around that dream symbolism is what what is the big evil in your life? What is the big hardship in your life? It's a very um, you know I mean we even like even biblically you know we we talk about or we have stories about you know like. You know, people who slay giants. It's, that's okay. I'm not mm -hmm. going to go down. Anyway, the, the, you know, there there are these stories that, that pop up in many of our myths and our lore, and, and you know, our old our classic texts about you know, like the people who have to to face off against you know the the giant, right? And and really, what that is is it's it's really just an allegory for I think like the the big evils or the difficult things, like those seemingly insurmountable challenges that we must face. And so, if you're seeing something like this pop up in a dream, I would say it would be good for you to look at whatever that giant in the dream may be as something that actually is like the big issue in your, in your life, right? What is it that continues to be your stumbling block? What is it that continues to hold you up, right? And that could be anything, right? Um, and we live in a world that gives us a hell of a lot of stumbling blocks, right? But, but that would maybe be another place to start, at least as it would relate to that, because if you can do some mundane day-to-day -day work around what that might be, what you perceive or what you understand that big obstacle to be, that could potentially be what you need to kind of unlock these dreams further. Um, and I would say ideally integrate a work through them. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I think this is actually um, kind of a cool question or cool questions. And, um, and, and I, even though I can understand that these dreams might be, um, you know, very visceral and they could be... Um, I would say, based on just the subject matter here, maybe not always very pleasant dreams. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't interpret these as a, a bad sign no. necessarily, or, or an indication that something was really wrong. No, no. Yeah. Though I did, I, I was gonna like just to fuck with the listeners. I was gonna be like, oh, it's because you're under attack by ice giants. You need to go see a shaman. I was gonna do that, but then I was like, no, that's stupid. Don't um, do that, Austin. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, let's let's not let's not put something out there that could potentially confuse some listeners. Okay. Um, yeah, anyway. Um, so, so Natasha, hopefully some of that will, will be of help. Um, if it isn't, uh, feel free to contact us again, you know, and maybe clarify if there's some additional information or if you need help in uh, maybe following up on some of that information, uh, get in contact with us again. Um, I would extend the same invitation to Ian and uh, anybody else that may potentially contact us or if you've asked questions of us in the past, uh, past and you need to you know, dig a little bit deeper. Um, it doesn't hurt to, to reach out and ask us if we can help you. We, we will, if we can't, we'll let you know, like yep. we're, we're probably just not the person to give you that answer. Um, yeah. But, um, anyway, but keep, keep moving forward, Natasha. I'm very excited to see that you have taken responsibility for your own spiritual path. That's such an important thing for us all to be doing. And I, I just, I want you to stick with it and, uh, continue to just grow and, do cool things you're you're almost a year in and that first year can be a real make or break for a lot of people can it austin like it kind of takes really i think at least a couple of years to get to a point for all of us to get to a point where we really do start to kind mm -hmm. of find our footing right? i i i'm fortunate enough that i i can't really say that i like was doing nothing and then or like switched religions or anything like that so i'm very fortunate that like i just kind of grew up doing it right same 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 kind of with you but um but like uh, most definitely, like when I was going through initiatory processes that first year, 
of like the training and prepping for initiatory lineage stuff mm-hmm. yeah it was rough the second the, the second go around was like oh okay cool sweet like i kind of got this down but yeah no the first one not you know just kind of like bulldozing in hoping for the best mm-hmm. hoping your work is good enough hoping you're doing it correctly it can be a, it can be very stressful it's just like going to school okay. you know like the first year in your program you're like <gasps> and then by the second year you're like oh it's not so bad by your senior year you're like everything is burning and it's fine and this professor yeah. will let me turn this in late because i brought them coffee yesterday yes I think you just you just learn to walk through the flames. It's true, yeah. without them burning you, or yes. you just become immune to the burn. Exactly, you rise from them like a phoenix. Yes, uh, I love the phoenix. Yes. She's one of my favorites. Is that an X Men reference? Yeah, nerd. Storm's my favorite, actually. Storm is the shit. Storm is the shit. I will I will slap a bitch who speaks any kind of dirt against Storm. I love Storm. Storm is oh my god. I'm not even gonna go there. That's okay. We that's all right. That's Storm is such an Omega level mutant that she actually in some of the comic books, uh, I think it was one comic book issue. She actually manipulated the molecules of water and was able to breathe underwater. Yeah, like. Do. Well, I, oh my God, you got me talking about comics now. Sorry. Let's not go there. Anyway, conversations for other days. Needless to say, Storm is the shit. Who would win between Storm and the Phoenix? And I love her, um, I love her, like, I love, like, 80s era punk Storm with the mohawk, too. Wasn't she married to Logan, though? Uh, Or did she get married to Cyclops? In some of the comic books. Oh God, they've all been married to each other. In some of the books, I believe she did marry Logan. There were others where she was briefly involved romantically with Gambit. Yes. She married uh, T'Challa, the Black Panther, for yes. a while, and was actually the queen of Wakanda at uh-huh. the time. Which, when um, we saw Angela Bassett in the first Black Panther... I was Panther. watching some of the other day, and they were talking about how the X-Men movies back in the day, when those came out, when Sony produced those back in, I think, like the early thousands, mm-hmm. um, how they, they really kind of missed out on casting, casting Angela Bassett. Yeah, I mean, Halle Berry did a good job. Oh, yeah, Halle Berry was fine. Uh, but, but Angela Bassett. Oh, my God. Can she's you imagine a, queen. a world with an Angela Bassett storm? I mean, holy oh, she's shit. a queen. Like, I can die now. I've seen it all. I love Angela um, Bassett. That's so okay. Much. That's enough. That's enough of this. Uh, but you never answered my question. Oh, storm what? or Phoenix, oh. who would win? Uh, well, I mean, in that situation, you know, I'm, you're going to... I'm, I'm going to probably have to say, well... No, actually, no, I'm not going to say the Phoenix because Storm is also, Storm is not just a mutant. She's also a, a magical being. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think in some of the comic books, she studies with the Scarlet Witch and she is actually determined to be like another one of like the, like the big badass witches that the Scarlet Witch is, is a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, like Storm is actually determined to be like, like she's like, got those kinds of powers mm. as well. well she she also like studied um atr as well um i thought i read that somewhere where she was like actually possibly. like she studied uh well she's believed i mean in some of the comic books she's she's believed to be a goddess yeah. in her of her own right so okay no more x-men conversation no more no more, no more comic conversation no fine right. with us that's good our, our listeners are they're not uh, well. They're not paying us for anything, but they're they're certainly not paying us to talk about comics. I don't know. Although I'm sure we, they could, love it. we could totally talk about comments and talk about like <gasps> we could do like comics and witchcraft and like ideas. <gasps> Just like I get ideas. That's a that's a different podcast. That's a different podcast. Well, not tonight. It's obviously. 